1: On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5 with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or
0: restriction. Remember our disclaimer this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey, friends, and welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. Dana here today, and I am joined by Meg and Peggy Curry, the mother daughter duo behind Curry Girls Kitchen. On today's episode, we're talking about food fear mongering in the functional medicine community and Peggy's new book, Damn Good Gluten Free. We also talk about the uh, slightly controversial opinion on the question of is gluten free for everyone and about how food can be a love language, even if you have food allergies or intolerances. So a little bit of a background on our friendship that we kind of mentioned later in the episode, but ran out of time to talk about. So I met Peggy a few years before COVID. Honestly, have no idea what year it was. Way back in my more food blogging forward days, when we were both invited by the National Peanut Board to visit Hope and Harmony Farms, also known as Royal Oaks, just outside of Richmond. So we spent the weekend like fawning over delicious food and tasting menus and learning how peanuts are grown and we had clicked instantly over our love of food our passions for teaching others how to make allergen friendly food taste amazing and honestly our personalities as well which as I think you'll be able to tell you're in for a really fun time with this episode as we talk about some damn good gluten-free eats Here's where I want to start in in lieu of, you know, just going into like robotic introductions and stuff. So one of the first things that you guys talk about in the book is food is my love language. Right. So I want to use that as kind of a jumping off point to introduce yourselves and tell us about your story that led you to where we are here
2: today. Um, Well, I'll go first, because really food is my love language. So, you know, I wrote I wrote this book because um, I have one of those good relationships with food. I was growing up with food, you know, and um, my family, you know, the, the happy times in my family was all around the gathering, the gathering at the table, whether it was just small, intimate with just my mom and dad and me because my siblings were so much older, they went around or just because I was raised Jewish. And in our Jewish traditions, it was always to me in my memory of the happy times was around a gathering and there was always a ton
1: of food
2: (laughs) and the food was always delicious. And I don't know, it just, you know, when you're growing up, there's so many emotional waves and roller coasters and in my family there were. And so for me, it was like um, those were the happy times. And that's what I remembered. So then, when you fast forward, and I've been in relationship with my husband for fifty years, and the time that we would gather around his family's kitchen table—now there were six kids, two parents around this tiny little kitchen table—more happiness eluded. You know, it was like it was like oozing. You know, I'm like, oh, I want this because we've been—we were together since we're fifteen. And it was a really challenging time in my life. So again, it was around the food and the table that brought me joy. And, and then as we got older and we started our own family, it was like, oh, there's that little kitchen table nook and bringing together family. And to me, it solidified the importance of gathering and eating together and having conversations. And there was it was joyful experiences. And I wanted to emanate that. And that's pretty much what we did. It became a priority in my life that I wanted to nourish my kids and feed my kids, our kids and my husband and myself. And so that's why I say
1: food is my love language. <laughs> I always love it because it's so interesting hearing my mom's ex- like expression of food is love and all of that. And then for me, I love food. I think I work in food because I always say I love to eat. So that's why I like cook for people and stuff like that. But for me, it was the opposite. I know food is my mom's love language. But for me as a young child that had severe allergies, was chronically sick, food made me feel really bad. And I associated that then as I'm bad. What's wrong with me if everyone's feeling so joyous and it's always like, Oh, Megan can't have that. Oh, can't, is is it okay? Or, oh, we brought something special for Megan. Like I was always being treated differently, especially surrounding food and I hated it. Like I absolutely hated it. And so from a young child, I always had really disordered eating patterns. I was always having stuff eliminated from me. I was always doing that. And even though I loved to eat, everything I loved to eat was not good for me and quotes or I wasn't allowed to have it. It was forbidden food. So that was like from a very young age, I adopted such a um, just skewed perception on the foods that I that brought me joy that were not allowed or were deemed bad foods because they how they made me feel or how my body reacted to foods and for me now I can say I love food and it's a way of like help nourishing myself and nourishing others but my journey to get there has been a 30-year process to then sit here and be able to say yes food is now a love language that I've adopted of showing people how I like can care for them can love for them but it was never positive for me younger so I think it's really beautiful being able to have both my mom and I, because my story played into such a huge part of what this cookbook was, and I had the polar opposite story of my mom, because all of those events and things, they brought forward so much anxiety that I didn't know how to label as a young kid, and just, I would remove myself from the situation and just not show up, because it was like or I'd hide in another room and like read books and do my own thing because I didn't want to have that focus on me. So I think it's so beautiful, like as any relationship, especially as a mother, daughter and especially people with food. It's so personal, it's so celebratory. It's all these amazing things, but can also be so challenging and so difficult and such a source of pain that um, on every level, emotional, physical, all of it, that it's so wonderful that we get to come together and share our stories and how it can really support everybody else no matter what your dietary restriction is what your emotional relationship to food is and all of it so it's really it's it's, this book is something that's been so awesome and how we can get to where we both are now
0: yeah i love it and you know like thank you for sharing both of your stories i mean we love this right and it the thing is like Both of your stories and the philosophy of how that has come together has really come forward and shines through in the book, right? Because what's kind of, I think, difficult for all three of us being in more of the, you know, functional medicine and like autoimmune community is that there's a lot of like food fear mongering that's going on right like there is a lot of in the functional medicine world and especially the gluten-free community it definitely can give off a vibe of like you're going to be sick and inflamed forever if you ever eat gluten again you know or like you know fill in the blank blank ingredient nightshades you know soy whatever and the book really shines in a way that shows we don't have to do the food fear-mongering thing if even if you do have to be gluten-free even if you do have an allergy even if even if you do have to you know take another food out for whatever reason it's really focusing on the add-in piece and learning how to be a part of the celebration of food and how to have food as a love language even if you have an asterisk by you the way that you need to eat because you have celiac or you have to be gluten-free for whatever
2: reason and I love that (laughs) oh my god I love how you just said that so much it just resonates that that you got that from the book as well you know, because it's, it's so true, you know, everyone kind of goes to the idea of what I can't eat, and what I have to restrict or what I have to eliminate. And instead of that, it's like, Oh, my God, when you really understand your body, your body as an individual, listening to it, learning what works best for it, you know, and embracing that, rather than fearing it, restricting it, and doing all these things. It's just a different attitude and perspective of looking at the food, you know? Because I think, too, while Megan, you know, shares her stories, like, I was bound and determined to help my daughter thrive. I, I was. I wasn't giving up. No doctor, no, you know, clinician, no health person nobody until you know we really got to the bottom of what was causing all this you know I know now I can say the word suffering because you know as a mom you feel so badly that your child is suffering on some level that you don't even know you know because so much of it I didn't know I just thought oh Megan just loves to read on the toilet for hours <laughs> <You know? laughs> And she'd love to play her dolls. And it's like, oh, now I understand it all, you know. But because of it now, we become better educators, helpers, you know, guides.
1: <laughs> you know? I always think this too. I love how you said that, Adam, because what we always share is I was even telling my mom the other day, I was, you know, I don't carry the celiac gene. My mom does. So technically, um, if you go into the technicalities of it like I can eat gluten however with enough of my own research and trial and errors of eliminating stuff bringing it back in adding it back in I personally feel best when I don't do it however I was telling her the other day you know well we talk about this often if you're not gluten intolerant you don't celiac we're like Wheat is a great grain. Like we are so for it. It just doesn't work. It doesn't make us feel great. And we can't tell you that you have to determine that. But so many people are so disconnected from the feeling or just the awareness of how they feel after they eat or because it can be a day later or whatever. They just they don't have the understanding. And because you have all these experts that are like, this is the way it needs to be and all this. But we truly are the own experts of our body. We are the ones that are feeling it. We are that. So that's kind of where this is. And I even think like, you know, even to this day, like I went to this restaurant the other week and it was an Italian restaurant. And I told my mom, I had my functional doctor tell me after doing all this blood testing and everything and looking at my gut and all of the, the food panels, like I've done countless of them. He's <laughs> like, you're not gluten intolerant. You can eat gluten. And I was like, well... I don't eat it so it's not going to show up on this test however i was like i'm curious i haven't consciously consumed gluten in probably 15 years and i went to this amazing italian restaurant that had zero gluten-free options for anything so i was like i'm just gonna try and see how i feel like how else will i know and i did (laughs) no guilt, no shame, literally as like a scientist being like, how is this going to make me feel like the curiosity instead of in the past, I would have done it simply because it's a carb and I want to restrict it. It's gluten. I've been told it's bad. And all of this stuff, it's like, it's so interesting how we evolve and how our food can evolve, how our digestion can evolve. And it's important, I think, to always go back and see like, the why are we not eating that? And the curiosity of like, does it still make me feel not great? Okay. Yeah. I got a headache. Great. I know it's not an everyday food. So there we go. Like, it's just so interesting how we can become that advocate for ourselves. Yep.
0: A hundred percent. And, you know, going back to the, when people don't either know how to listen to their body signals or they've been really out of touch with their body signals for a long time it's only natural that we would kind of outsource well how do I do this thing you know and then if you've had the experience of going to traditional western medicine it's like well they're telling me my labs are fine but I don't feel fine you know and then you go to functional medicine and they're like okay well gluten's the devil and sugar's the devil and blah 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 it's very you know, very similar to diet and fitness culture, it's a very kind of perfectionist all or nothing mentality. And there is no gray there. And there's no, like you were saying, there's no permission saying like, well, maybe we try taking this out for a while, but let's make sure we bring it back in and experiment with it. Because again, like you were saying before, nobody knows your body better than you no matter what kind of level of, you know, doctorate they have or PhD or any of these, you know, the many fields of research or whatever, they still don't know what it's like to live in your body. So there's no way that they can guarantee unless you've been diagnosed with autoimmune disease or a food allergy or something. Otherwise, there's no way that they can guarantee that you're going to have a reaction to that food or the degree of the reaction to that food. And even if you do, like you mentioned, Meg, it's like, OK, well, then even if I do have a reaction, what is the place that I want this to be in my life? Right. A headache, if it's not, you know, a migraine debilitating, have to be in a dark room with the lights out is not that bad in the great, grand scheme of things. Right. So if you're traveling, it's like, woo, we are in Italy. I normally eat gluten free when I'm at home, but this is probably a great place to experiment and say, like, yeah, let's do this. No guilt, no shame, no food fear mongering or anything. And just learn how you can make that a more sustainable place in your life.
2: Oh my God! Yes, but I want to go back to what you were talking about with the doctors. I find that our society—they—they—they give up their power. They sit in a doctor's room and think they're the almighty God that's telling them. They're practicing. That's why it's practicing medicine. You know, whether whether it's a functional medicine doctor, a regular doctor, or whatever, it's still bottom line is you've got to take your power back. What you're saying, you know, there's no magic pill. There's no magic, you know, anything other than you taking the
1: time to really, you know, get to know your body. I think so much of it comes back to developing awareness. I say awareness of like how you feel, where these emotions are coming from, because it is so emotional and everything is so um, We want it to be easy we want it to be seamless you want to feel good everyone wants to feel good you know and what i've learned and just i've really gone into like the energetics behind it and the really like the more therapeutic healing behind it And let's get behind the root cause of why do you even have these beliefs in the first place around this um because so much is tied to emotions and what we've learned is that stress is the worst thing that if you're like you can eat All of the donuts in the world of you, and if you believe they're doing your body good, they're doing your body good. Like, you're not gonna have reactions to it, you know? I mean, now, like that's, take that with a grain of salt. But it's like, when you have stress, so much stress around the food, or you have all these, you don't, you're not aware of your emotions or the feelings before you go to eat, before you even go into the refrigerator to snack, as you're driving by this stuff, it's like, I think, What we found is like just learning to listen to your body's cues, your emotional cues, all the other things that are going to help you to then decide for yourself what it is that works for you, you know, and I think that's what the book is so beautiful is that it's, it really gives you all of the options based off of what you would need to know. And that's kind of like our practice and what we do with what I do with my clients, what we do with like whatever we teach, you know, it's like, that's such a key point of helping us guide you back to yourself to figure out how to even listen, because we've tuned it out for so long. Because a lot of people are like, I'm sick of listening to myself. I'm sick of what I hear. I don't want to hear it. And we're like, no, let's like go back and like, why do you have those feelings? Why do we feel this way? Let's like rebuild that beautiful connection. Because truly, I mean, you think back to it, like, doctors are relatively new. Like we used to have to kind of do trial and error for ourselves. And so our bodies want to heal. Our bodies want to, like we know all of those cravings and things. It's typically like if you look at the macro or micronutrients of these foods, like we're drawn to it for a reason. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, okay. I I definitely want to dive deeper into emotions and stuff. So let's think back to, Prior the revelations about like, oh my God, I have all these, you know, things that are going on symptom-wise, and we can figure out we can use food to help with that. Let's talk about the on the one hand, relief and also the grief that can come with a diagnosis of needing to be gluten-free because we've all been there. <laughs> Do you
2: remember yes. in the book? I'm like, it's like, can I swear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Like, what the fuck am I gonna eat? What am I going to drink when I go to the bar? No fucking beer. I can't have pizza. I can't have all that comfort food, my pasta, my my treats, my pastries, my croissants. For God's sake, it's like you do it, it is a grieving process and I think i put it in bold in the book. It was like you grieve this idea because it really is an idea of what you no longer are going to get to eat. And I think like I think for what Megan is talking about, this emotional connection. I mean, go back to when I was talking about, you know, what were the emotions that I wanted so badly as a child to feel because I wanted to feel happy? And then you fast forward, and here at 19, I have severe panic disorder and I can't feel happy. I can't, I can't feel in my body, you know, it's all these different things. And so it's that emotional you know, all I want is to be happy and healthy, you know, and I was going to do whatever it took to get to that. Right. But it, it, I think for me, I never connected to the food until thankfully Megan, you know, we get her all tested and we're tested and, you know, yes, I did all kinds of things to help my anxiety disorder and severe panic disorder, but it really, I think, crossed the threshold when I was finally putting in my body what my body wanted and needed, that it leveled everything out. And I got to that place of truly being happy and healthy for myself. But it was me, I did the investigation, because everything that the doctors, the pills and everything it did not work, you know? So I think there is such a huge piece of the emotion and food, because the other thing that we always say is food is love. Well, Megan often reminds me is that, well, but it's not love for everybody.
1: I think that's it too. You know, I think about for mine, it's like at some point when you get a diagnosis like that, you're like, okay there's relief. You feel relief because you're like, okay, I have an answer for something I've been curious about. And there's been this huge question mark for so long, but then it does, it comes into this like remorse and this like grief and guilt uh, or all these things of like, okay. So for these past 15 years of my life, I've been poisoning myself. Okay. And then now I'm like, this is something that back then in 2005, it was like, how do I even describe this to people? I'm, I now can't have like the glue to our American diet. Like I can't have bread. I can't have pastas. I can't have pizzas. I can't have bagels. And like, I'm thinking, I'm like, but these are all the foods I want. (laughs) These are all the foods that, that like, I see my friends eating and I just want to be normal because I'm like, teenager and I just want to fit in I'm done with these like whatever so it's like you go through all of this and I think and then add another layer of like oh well this is my mom telling me what to do and I just want to be my own independent person and I want to give you like a middle finger of like another thing I have to do and it's like you go through all of these things to then you know to now where I'm like I had to Like we all, like what you just said, mom, and like what we always say, it's like, you know, you have to come to it for yourself, all the doctors, all the other people can come to it. But like, I had to go through my trial and errors, my resisting my emotions to then come back to be like, okay, so I can grieve this life that I knew. And I can also be grateful for having an answer, but also like being flexible with myself as i'm processing these emotions and as i'm adopting what for us was a new lifestyle this isn't a diet this is a way of like living if i want to live a long life and i know i have genetic predispositions to certain degenerative diseases and stuff like that that i know are linked to certain things like i have to make that decision for myself a doctor can't tell me that i can't do that and instead of viewing it as a like life sentence, I can look at it as a gratitude that now I get to choose how I want to live my life and how I want the rest of my life to look with this huge potential or uncertainty now that we've know more about like epigenetics and things like that, that we can change um, our genes based on what we, how we consume and what we do. And that also means sleep, everything else, you know? So it's really wonderful being able to I think now therapy is way more supported. Um, that was something that was huge for me. I was in therapy for many, many years. I mean, I just think being able to talk to somebody about these things and getting help because I think so much of it too is a lot of food related stuff is so secret and personal and hidden. Um, and I always say the the biggest help for me of, um, coming out of my eating disorder and really like putting a name to it and not having it be in the secrecy was talking about it. And that was a huge thing too of like releasing the shame because so much shame is around that.
0: Oh yeah. There's, I mean, there's so much shame around having food issues basically, right? And then there's also a lot of shame if you're in the, you know, any of the food allergy communities or the functional medicine community and you're like, but I, but I don't want to do this 100% anymore. There's a lot of shame around that too, because it's kind of like, what are you not grateful that you have this amazing tool in food and you can really control the output of you know, your disease and everything. But again, if you're coming from any kind of background of disordered eating or an all or nothing mentality or anything, your brain naturally is going to start to rebel against that. And if one day you're like, you know what? there's a great Italian restaurant. There are no gluten-free options. You know, we're gonna just try it out and see how it goes. Like you mentioned, Meg, you're you're the old brain or, you know, like the former, you'd be like, no carbs are bad, I can't have this, this is gluten-free, gluten's gonna, you know, do all of these different things. And it's so hard to have shame around that as well because there is this mentality, again, of like, am I causing these symptoms myself if
2: I eat these foods? Yeah, Or am I causing a deeper damage that we don't even know because Mm -hmm. we can't feel it because so many people are so disconnected.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I do wanna talk about a little bit of a lighter topic, but related, you know, you mentioned like when you first got diagnosed, like when I first got diagnosed, being gluten-free was kind of like the equivalent of a food desert because it was basic, like everything tasted like cardboard power bars, right? It was horrendous and like, luckily, when I got diagnosed and started figuring out about this stuff, I was in school in Vermont, which like hippies galore, right? So they did have actual gluten-free stuff, but it still wasn't great, even though it was probably better than other places in the country. But so now, what are some of your favorite like gluten-free products or, you know, convenience foods, like brands that you tend to go towards?
1: Oh, I mean, I'm just going to say I've been on a big bagel kick, so I love Udi's bagels right now. I'm like (laughs) one of those, like bagels and cream cheese. I think that's another thing, too. It's like I've been like loving the convenience that now like I can go to my local coffee shop, get my cappuccino, and they have a gluten-free Udi's bagel with the cream cheese. And I'm like, yes, I love that. (laughs) because sometimes you just want a bagel
0: <laughs> literally had that this morning with canyon bakehouse everything bagel so yes <laughs> i love canyon exactly. ba-
1: when
2: when canyon bakehouse tim and i were literally at a four-day silent retreat and poor tim you know i drag him along and the best part for him was walking into the commissary and there we had never seen it before was a is it canyon bakehouse I think it is Canyon Bakehouse made a, um, a, a English muffin. And it was like the best thing <laughs> of an English muffin, but that's not my favorite thing. My favorite um, thing. Oh gosh. You know, it's so funny when you were saying that, I go to like um, ready-made things at like my farmer's market. You know what I mean? So I love to go. We have... Um, this um artisan bakery um called bread block and they make these beautiful croissants (laughs) Megan used to be like when she was here I'm like I mean because to me that was like the final thing that we never could get was a croissant and I literally watched a blogger make it and I'm like I will never make a croissant. <laughs> I just won't do it. And when this, this bakery made this croissant and it's stuffed with cheese and I don't normally eat ham, but the whole thing together and it's hot and you eat it, you're like heaven again. <laughs> so it's like, I, I do gravitate towards the breads, but these people that have these artists and gluten-free, you know, bakeries and muffins and bread, you know, I love, I love that.
0: I I love um, that
1: too.
2: So, yeah.
0: Now you're making me hungry for lunch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I just think it's like vessels. I think all the vessels that you can get all the other nutrient food in are such my favorite convenience. Like, there was no gluten-free tortillas or, like, whatever those. Like, I think now I love – Like I love breakfast burritos and now I have Siete's burritos that are like a gluten-free big size that I can like stuff it with the hash browns, the eggs, the sausage and I can wrap it up and it's great. Like I literally am a glutton at heart. Like when I think about the things that I love and I'm like and I'm not sorry for it. I love these things like and do I eat them every day? well lately bagels yeah and i'm okay with it and i feel good um it's like that thing it's like the awareness of like when i notice i'm not feeling good after certain things like that's just like normal i'm like a mono eater i used to grow up eating like plates of spinach and things like that like i would just like be really focused on one food bacon Um, bacon literally (laughs) made myself sick off of bacon for years (laughs) and she was like (laughs) <laughs> like i just just like how I am and then I kind of I'm like okay on to the next and then I'm like whatever but I think all of the like carby breads and wraps and things like there's so many amazing gluten-free brands now that make products that I don't feel without it feels it helps me have that food and I see I can feel good with it um we love like Pamela's and uh what else? like siate oh. i said well yeah. and i'm a huge chocolate, chocolate
2: lover i love chocolate so i go from the gamut to like hughes bars like i love hughes but then i love the ginger chocolate that what's that love company chocolate i think i love chocolate but then i love just eating the nibs of enjoy life you know i think it's one of the best tasting chocolates you know what i mean so there is so many things that that we love to just incorporate and i i love this other thing that um, i think the lady you know asked me too well what about treats and i'm like hello you know again i love treats you know I, i i love being able to share a treat even though the kids didn't eat dessert after dinner I always had some kind of a treat, whether it was a bread, whether it was, you know, a muffin or a cookie that I baked during, you know, when they come home from school. But it, you know, it's that whole, you you don't have to live without anything today because of all the food manufacturers that have really stepped it up a notch to help us be able to make these amazing treats, too.
0: And now you really don't have to live without anything because you have a cookbook (laughs) and you can make all of your
2: amazing gluten-free things at home. (laughs) I know. Damn good gluten-free. I mean, when my friend came up with that title, it was so awesome because it was actually the tagline. But it just, you know, to me, that's what this eludes. It's like damn good living. It's like you get to live and eat and feel and free and enjoy yourself because I, that's the bottom line, is I want everyone to make their life delicious every day. No
0: matter what. Boom. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I love it. Okay. Well, so in addition to the book, Tell people all the places that they can find you, book, podcast, social media, your video course, which I had totally forgotten about. And I was like, oh my God, I forgot they did that. Also, every time I see a video or an Instagram post or even in the book, the pictures of your kitchen, I'm just like, damn it. Like, when am I gonna have a kitchen that's like that?
2: (laughs) Come out and visit us. We'll cook in the kitchen together. That would be so fun. <laughs> it, it, it was so funny. You know, that's a 28 foot long counter because in my mind, I always, when we built the house, I wanted to teach cooking classes. And I said in 10 years, when the kids were older and 10 years later, I did. And I started it. But it's interesting because my last kitchen before that was like half the size, but I've
1: realized now size doesn't matter. <laughs> I know the kitchen out here in the cabin where I live in Colorado, it's a lot smaller, but it, it's fun. And now we get to share it. That's why we, we cook in the kitchen and we share it on, like you said, all over at currygirlskitchen.com on our blog, where you can find all of these recipes, the links to our YouTube channel, the Curry Girls, and on Instagram, Curry Girls Kitchen, and, and Facebook. our podcast. Mm-hmm. Did you say
2: YouTube? Yeah, we have Facebook, podcast, all of that. Yeah, Our podcast
1: is Make Life Delicious, which has been on hiatus for a while, but we have some really uh, wonderful conversations where we've dove deep into, you know, mother-daughter dynamics, also all of this, like working relationships, food, manufacturers, we've talked to so many people. So there's lots of places you can find it. Also our course. So a lot of times they're kind of like, where do you even begin? We have our Damn Good in the Kitchen course, which you can find on currygirlskitchen.com. It's a cooking class that you can do at your own leisure. We have all these video courses recording, showing you how to make simple recipes like quick foods by getting a rotisserie chicken and how you can use it in six different meals. Like really trying to make it accessible to people that are adopting a new lifestyle or just where to even begin with cooking, whether it's you, a friend, or somebody got a recent health diagnosis and you're trying to adopt new ways of living. We have lots of offers as well, working with us one-on-one. So you can find us, Everything's on currygirlskitchen.com.
2: And I want to say when Megan talked about the word accessible, look, the cookbook I self-published, it's beautiful book. It is expensive. So we just came out with a Kindle version. So you can now get a Kindle version, which makes me so happy. You know, because now it is truly accessible for everybody to be able to enjoy this cookbook and get all the information in it.
0: Amazing. And you guys have a ton of really great recipes on your blog too. So if people are wondering (laughs) where to get started immediately,
1: they can go there too. (laughs) exactly. Come visit. Hundreds, Yes, hundreds of recipes up there that you guys can get for free and just (laughs) figure it out. (laughs) Yay,
0: well, oh my God, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: (laughs) Oh my Thank goodness. you so much, Dana, for having us. This has been amazing. Oh, Dana, I miss you. And
2: I, I'm so grateful for this.
1: I know. I was like, at some point, are we going to have time to talk about like
0: how we actually met? But I guess I'll just record it afterwards.
2: <laughs> oh, I think we definitely need to share that. <laughs> yeah. That was the best for me, how we met. I
1: know. I know. I, know. I, still, I still feel like I was there too, but I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I know.
2: Going to a peanut farm. <laughs> <You're the best. laughs> Love hey friends,
0: it's Dana, and thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with Wholehearted Eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. And we'll see you again here next week.